fellow Blue Earther, welcome to another podcast. I'm Lauren Nesbitt and on today's pod I'm chatting to Joss Ford, a self-declared eternal optimist and founder of Enviral, a brand marketing collective which helps companies create and communicate their environmental and social messages. Joss tells me how he came up with a concept for Enviral and why he believes that business is the best vehicle for creating change and why being in the communication space in 2022 is an exciting place to be. Hey Joss, welcome to the pod. First of all, can you tell me about your Bristol-based company Enviral? That's it, yeah. So um, yeah, Enviral kind of helps organizations tell their social environmental stories and uh, mainly based out of Bristol. Uh, we've got a few people who are remote, but yeah, pretty happy to call this place our home. We were initially set up in London. We still got a lot of ties to London, but kind of made the decision to move to the Southwest, mainly because I fell in love with the kind of creative culture and the sustainability world that I did kind of start to yeah, interact with when I was 17, 18. But also it's just close to the Brecon Beacons, which is always good. <laughs> do you do a lot of wild swimming and hiking? Yeah, so anytime I can, I'm sure if there's anybody listening who are owners of brands, the one thing that they can't buy is time. But um, whenever there is a, a, a little bit of a clear weekend, um, I'll, I'll be in into the Brecon Beacons with the, with the tent. Yeah, good, good hike. Maybe a little bit of trail running. It's something that I'm still needing to get into a bit more. I'm more of a road runner. I think my wild swimming probably is at a maximum of maybe 10 to 30 seconds at a time. <laughs> it's pretty cold. Well, this time of year is the perfect time of year to start acclimatizing for October, November, December. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm running the London Marathon in October. So training has definitely begun. Um, so yeah, I think maybe some, some runs where I can end up in a, a nice, cool, wild lake would be pretty good. So back to Enviral, how did it start and what's been the journey? Yeah, it was only recently that I actually started to look at, I guess, my journey into where I've got to now, literally going back to when I was like eight or nine years old. Yeah, maybe we can touch upon the eight or nine year old skater, subculture, punk rock um, person who is yeah, wearing jeans, which are far too baggy for me at a different stage in this podcast. But how well can you skate, though? That is the question. It's more an image thing, I reckon. <laughs> um, yeah, there was uh... All the gear, but no idea. <laughs> I broke my wrist when I think I was 11. That was probably the, the peak of my skateboarding career. But um, yeah, I, I, it was around that time that, yeah. Do you remember those Livestrong bands? That um, I do. I used to have one. And then almost every other brand and charity la- latched onto it. And they <laughs> yeah. would just decorate my forearm. And my parents were like, oh, God. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of, when that was trendy and cool at that like little moment in time yeah I worked with a couple of different charities and I basically sold them for charity just because I thought it was quite a cool thing to do and I guess that was like my first interaction with like subcultures brands charity purpose and and ultimately people wanting to be part of this this thing like oh it's really cool to have a wristband you know because it makes me stand for a charity and yeah that goes back to around those kind of baggy skateboard shoe and baggy jeans wearing person I was Um, but fast forward to when I was 16 I first found out about renewable energy and I was like potentially trying to be the cool 16 year old and saying yeah this is like you know just another thing but I just found it really cool I was like that nerdy person that could get an excitement off the fact that 
a wind turbine can power your toaster or it was around that time that I had a teacher and he was like what what are you doing with your life like what what do you want to do uh, and I really liked music at the time really liked brands at the time and, and he knew that I, I was certainly interested in business but he also kind of saw this thing in uh, environmental sustainability that yeah I got a kick out of so we found well he actually found a course uh, in environment and business at the University of Leeds and at that time there were only two courses which merged environmental studies and business studies. It just seemed like such a natural fit. I didn't actually get the A-levels <laughs> to get into the University of Leeds. But I really wanted to go there, um, mainly because the music scene was pretty cool and the creative scene was pretty cool. I basically gave them a call and convinced them that they, they needed me rather than I needed them, <laughs> which is definitely the other way around. And yes, yeah, I started, studied, uh, started studying at the School of Earth and Environment that was just, yeah, it was such a, such an awesome time. Um, but in second year of, uh, of university, I was sitting in a lecture theatre and daydreaming. I'm certainly a daydreamer. And about 15 minutes into the lecture, Enviral just kind of came to me because I had this singular problem, which is that I wanted to buy from brands who, who were, you know, wanting to prioritise people on the planet. But I just couldn't really find them. And, you know, there were a lot of large conglomerate organisations who were pushing sustainability communications at some point. You know, I think very differently to the last you know four or five years and it just felt really inauthentic and I knew that there were brilliant organizations and entrepreneurs and communities doing amazing things but perhaps there wasn't to be a Facebook pixel expert or a you know videography storyteller and you know I really wanted to turn these kind of environmental messages viral and get them into the spotlight and um and ultimately, the end of that lecture theatre, uh, yeah, I walked out and I'd registered the web domain name for Enviral, started sketching the logos and knew that ultimately I wanted to use communications as a force for good. And uh, I was working for a you know, big energy drink brand known for giving people wings at the time, which, by the way, was just like the best job in the world for, you know, like a 21 year old into music and in the outdoors uh, space. So it was yeah, a pretty amazing job. But Ethically, it didn't really match up to what I was wanting to do. I, I learned some frameworks that still aren't necessarily being used by small, medium and big uh, companies in the world. And it, it, that was ultimately just to build brand and to build communities, you know, not necessarily focus on buy now, <laughs> but let's do th- some things which people are actually going to interact with. I was there when they chucked Phoenix out of space and they literally owned the global news for like three days. You know, we put on parties in like the London Eye with you know, the biggest DJs in the world. It was it was amazing. But ultimately it just didn't match up with what I wanted to do is which is to, I guess create a legacy and um and have some impact, some positive behavioural impact on uh raising awareness of, you know, social and environmental issues. And I, I always think that business is kind of it's got the, the best vehicle to to actually make mass positive change happen quickly. You know, no matter what scenario we're in, you know, there's always people against governments and um, it's really hard for individuals to have a collective voice, but businesses can move quickly. You know, they've got money often and if they are kind of approaching their brand in the right way, you know, I think that they can have a really good teacher brand effect on educating the community that that wants to be part of uh, that brand in kind of systemic issues and, and, and how they're going to operate their organization to actually give back. And um, I just thought that was awesome. And uh, yeah, fast forward to now, we're based in Bristol. Yeah, we've got about 20 employees, you know, working with some, some brilliant brands in yeah, lots of different sectors of all different sizes. And it's been a really good journey. 
I'm currently studying at uni and I also kind of, I do a kind of a dual degree. Um, but I don't find that there's much overlap between the things that I'm learning. I have to make those connections myself. So did you find that in studying, well, back in 2011, when you went to uni, environment and business seems like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum and you also had to make the connections between the two? Or was the gap quite small and you thought, okay, this is really helping me figure out my path? The fact is, is that, you know, there's lots of different schools within universities and I was part of the School of Earth and Environment, but then I would do modules in the business school. And it's funny because like, I think the only business book that I've ever read was uh, Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard. And like, that was my introduction into business. So it just made so much sense that you would put kind of purpose at the heart of your business decisions. But then I guess, you know, traditional, God, I'm going to sound like a proper like, um, just say it, yeah, just educational. say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not, ma- I mean, I'm not massively uh, academic, but um, yeah, you, you would be tra- traditional education, I guess, pushes the kind of the druckers of the world, these historical business people and marketing people who um, it's their way. And that's how the biggest organizations have been formed. But it's just kind of archaic now. It just doesn't fit modern society. I guess that's the, the fact that I was working for this energy drink brand known for giving people wings. I saw business in in real terms, like working in a, an amazing organization at an amazing time. They didn't follow any of those principles that were being necessarily kind of taught in the business school. And so I guess the rules that you potentially learn in academia, I just kind of didn't apply them, <laughs> if I'm honest, um, and just tried to get real world experience. And the biggest learnings I've ever had is from mentors who've actually done it rather than a textbook. I totally agree. Who's been your best mentor? It's pretty simple, best mentor. God, it sounds like an acceptance speech at the Oscars or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, honestly, it has to be my dad because I've just seen him do it, right? I've, you know, he's he's been in the agriculture space and has come from a farmer to setting up a business. And He's quite old now, um, but he likes to keep himself young. You know, we have loads and loads of conversations and it's it, it's been brilliant seeing that journey. But somebody else who has just been instrumental in, in, in I guess, the, the journey and the inspiration to actually go and do the sustainability thing full time was Sir Jonathan Porrett. I mean, anybody in the environmental space kind of knows him as like almost the godfather of sustainability in the UK. One of the founders of the Green Party run a consultancy called Forum for the Future, written lots of books and things like that. And um, basically, there's a little bit of a story on this, but when I was 17, when I was trying to go to university and I guess that input to sustainability when I was like starting to see that this thing was like actually a real movement that could happen. I went to Cheltenham Literature Festival and he'd written a book and I saw him do a talk on it. Yeah, it was just awesome. I kind of hung around afterwards and semi-stalked him and uh, kind of asked him, like, oh, can I come and shadow you and all of this stuff? And he was like, my dear boy, you just come into my study. You'd come in at nine o'clock. Um, you'd sit in the corner. You'd watch me write, uh, go for a, a spot of, of lunch, come back do some more writing and reading, maybe do a phone call once or twice in a day. And then you'd leave at five o'clock and be dreadfully bored. And I was like, okay, cool. But he said, if you ever need anything, if you ever need any advice, just send me an email. And I did when I set up in viral and, you know, we've, we've met up a few times and um, it's, he's just turned 70 last year. And he, um, for his 70th birthday to himself, he basically has reached out to 70 youth activists and he's mentoring them. 
It's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, he's been banging the drum about environmental sustainability and climate change literally since the 70s. And yeah, it, it's, yeah, he just always does things in such an articulate way and it's such a good humored way. And I think, yeah, you kind of make your own luck sometimes. And it, yeah, ha- having a soundboard like him to basically say, do this, don't do this. Uh, you know, not often, like I probably speak to him once a year, but he's always makes time. And that's, uh, that's something that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is nice that somebody will give you time, especially with 70 years of wisdom. That's pretty special. Um, so running your own business, what's it like? And do you have any advice for budding entrepreneurs out there like yourself? Funny enough, at the Blue Earth Summit last year, big old plug. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, later on in the podcast. One of my first interns for Enviral was there. Yeah, we were talking and they kind of said similar things like, you know, how do you do this? What's the input? You know, how much, how do you know when it's right to start your own business? All of those things. And I've been really fortunate in the fact that Enviral has kind of always done what it's set out to do. You know, ultimately, the the fact is that you've got to have a clear, single-minded vision and mission. It's so easy in that really exciting time of setting something up, which is honestly just like the best bit about setting up a business is those like those early months. It's like, oh, we could go here, we could do this, we could go here, we could brand it like this, we could do this idea. That that energy is just amazing. It's very easy to get distracted doing that though. And if you get distracted, you take on too much, ultimately you don't really get much done. So I think it's just being really clear with what you're actually doing, what is your service, not necessarily taking on too much that you can't actually offer yourself. And yeah, just kind of hoping for some good luck along the way, because that's definitely one of the core things. I mean, we've been really fortunate enough to be in the sustainability communication space at a time when, you know, people are really waking up to this movement and businesses are really wanting to prioritize it and seeing the benefits, whether that is, you know, employee retention and attracting brilliant talent, you know, to opening up, you know, great stories, believe that, you know, brands that do good have got great stories to tell. So uh, it makes marketing agencies uh, strategy phase where you're trying to think about what to say a bit easier to, you know, aligning to accreditations and like sustainable development goals or B Corp and, and actually having the ability to actually get those accreditations easier because of the principles of how you operate your organization and then the benefits that that brings. I think it's just having that single-minded, clear purpose, obviously doing some good for people on the planet and uh, putting branding and communications and strategy at the forefront of everything you do. Are you working with any cool brands at the moment that you can talk about without getting into trouble? Uh, again, you know what? It's like you don't so have to name enough. drop. You can like describe the language. <laughs> you can work it out because so far you've been doing a pretty good job of that. We have just finished a really, really, really cool campaign, and the results get released next week. And funny enough, last Friday I was filming in a landfill site on the hottest day of the year. It's pretty hot oh, today. I bet that was smelly. Last. <laughs> It was, um, it, you know what, we were pr- pretty easy. There was a, there was a breeze and uh, so the smell was less smelly than we were expecting it to. And that has been for the big plastic count, which, yeah, took place for a week in May and it was Greenpeace and Everyday Plastic. Uh, sorry to name drop a little bit. I had to name that. <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately they've, you, you know, they came to us tail end of last year and they said, look, we've, we've got this idea that basically we want to, actually go and create some live data on how much single-use plastic is actually being consumed by UK households because like the data just isn't really there. So for a week in May, 
we yeah we, we did a load of content messaging strategy for it we invited uk households to count their plastic for a week so that's single use that's you know non-recyclable everything from you know toiletry products to the plastic that salad comes in we create them a scorecard and they've got a tally and ultimately all of that uh, data then gets sent back to a central website and that data is being taken to parliament in three weeks time hopefully leverage a you know much needed plastic depository scheme and you know various other plastic taxes and, and ultimately just to educate the government and businesses uh how much plastic consumption is actually happening um, you know it certainly wasn't intended to like highlight to individuals or make them feel guilty about the plastic they use but it's completely unavoidable us using plastic it's probably one of the best uh, materials humans have ever created but what we do with it and the system that it kind of um, gets ultimately thrown away in or occasionally recycled in is something that you know needs to be sorted out in a systemic way and um Hopefully this data is going to be able to really have some, some big impact. And yeah, we did all the communications for it. So videography, the messaging, the influencer, the design. And yeah, we're super proud of it. Um, fortunately, one in every 250 households in the UK signed up to do the big plastic count. And yeah, it was about 10x what the charity were expecting. So hopefully our content did some, some, some good in that. I was going to ask you actually how many households took part. There's about 100, yes, there's about 185,000. So yeah, it was... I'm not a numbers cool. person. So if there are any uh, statistics people listening or science people listening, um, Joss, is that, is that a good yeah. number to participate in a, in a study? I think it's, pre- it's pretty good. So that was actually the sign-ups. Um, so there was a bit of a drop-off from that, I think. Somewhere between 80 and 100,000 people who actually took place in it. Let's say the data goes to uh, number 10. Um, mm. How quickly do you think they'll action it? Oh, is that the million dollar question, Laura? Um, <laughs> you know, what, what I love about raw data, and it, you know, we do this with communications the whole time, is that it actually creates you the insight to make decisions properly. You can't lie with raw stats. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping pretty speedily. And, you know, if we just even look at other countries which have got pl- plastic depository schemes, it's, it's like a win-win-win for everyone. So um, the thing that we have to really stop is shipping plastic abroad for it to be recycled and for local councils to seem like they've got good rec- recycling rates because um, that's pretty scary when you get to the depths of it. What's your favourite thing about what you do right now? So because you are radiating like enthusiasm, just talking about single use plastics, I'm just starting to think you can't surely uphold this enthusiasm every single second of the day. (laughs) Maybe you can ask uh, my fiancé that that question. No, um, I am eternally optimistic. And what is the favourite thing that I guess that that we do? Because it's certainly not about what I do if, if anything it's the, it's the team who are really making the core difference it, it's the fact that ultimately we're using communications to try and connect hearts and minds with what is a narrative which has been heavily diluted I don't think anybody really wants to go onto their social media feed and be talked about climate change anymore or single-use plastic or the fact that I don't know really industry focused there's a diversity issue in the marketing communications world they're pretty heavy topics and the fact is that we need to keep talking about them. We need to talk about them continuously in different ways to make change happen um, because that change just isn't fast enough, right? And I guess the cool thing about what we do, you know, with campaigns and with always on communications 
is that we can work with different organizations with their charities or their multinational companies or their you know really interesting uh, disruptor B Corps. We can use their communications powers to actually try and bring a bit of optimism and maybe even a bit of entertainment or humor or something that is really deeply emotional just to connect hearts and minds. And the process of taking an idea from literally an idea around a table with lots of people talking about it to the actual completion of it. And then, you know, a bit like this Greenpeace and Everyday Plastic campaign, the results of it and hopefully very good results is just awesome. And it's just kind of like looking back and seeing that progress that, yeah, definitely makes it all worth it for sure. And I'm not going to, not going to beat around the bush. Obviously there's long nights and early starts and we're in client services. So there's always deadlines and that's, you know, always something that needs to be balanced. You know, I guess like I, I work for my team rather than team working for me. It's like trying to create work-life balance when you've got deadlines, when you've got clients which have got lots of different needs and personalities you know when we're all really really enthusiastic about actually using our skills for good and often you know the brands that we work with don't have the large budgets that I don't know a shampoo brand would have (laughs) we're all super dedicated when we just want to have the best job possible and uh, that does come with strains and pressures and as a growing agency and as a founder of a growing agency you know that those responsibilities do end up on my lap it's certainly, as I mentioned earlier, it's a it's it's an up and down journey. It's not a linear. You start a business, and then in you know five years time, you've worked for the biggest brands in the world. You have solved climate change, and you solved you know all of these issues issues through your communications. It's just it just doesn't work like that. And managing expectations for yourself and everybody else is um, is something that's part of that journey. Talking about comms, last year um, you sat on a panel about greenwashing. What would you like to talk about this year? So the, the greenwashing topic obviously in our space um, as a communications agency is just like it's always there i think i even said this it's like getting harder and harder to spot why is it getting harder to spot well look like you know ultimately there's no such thing as a perfect sustainable business you, you can't have that it's that element of being really transparent to say look everybody every brand is on a journey you can't complete sustainability that ultimately means that when it comes to communications there's always areas that businesses can improve on it gets really tricky because there's so many different levels of greenwash and purpose wash and pride wash i think that you know even from our perspective we always have learnings and feedback loops from our own campaigns you know i think that the fact is that we need every business in the world right now really prioritize social environmental sustainability in everything that they do and ultimately there are marketing departments in pretty much every business in the, in the world, uh, at least SMEs and above, and they're wanting to communicate. And I'm a big believer that we need to work with really, really big brands. And those big brands have got to do something about their impact on the planet and people. And I invite them at some level to be using their marketing communications to explain what they're doing, and what they're not doing. The issue is, is that they don't necessarily focus on what they're not doing. They always talk about the things that they are doing or they are talking about, you know, maybe putting the onus on the individual, their customer and not focusing on their own impact on the planet. And I think that ultimately, you know, we're marketing on lots of different platforms and lots of different mediums, groups. So I know that, for example, the H&M group, they've got like multiple different brands underneath them. And, and I bought a jacket from a company called Weekday in London, and they just seemed like a really cool, a really cool shop. Walked in there, 
you know, I pick up a jacket, it's like a pretty reasonable price, made out of organic cotton with recycled fibers in it. And I think that, yeah, it's saying stuff like the factory was powered by renewable energy. It's like, wicked, that's cool. And then literally it was only until like a year ago, I found out that that weekday is owned by H&M. And I know that H&M even got like the conscious collection, right? That is that is greenwash, but for different layers of consumers on different layers of their sustainability journey, that might seem like they're doing the right thing, purchasing that, that product versus, you know, the exact same product that's probably in the exact same store, which isn't part of the conscious collection. Yeah, look, I guess it just gets to the position that there are lots of brands trying to do the right thing and their communications are, um, you know, being put out in different ways. And sometimes it just can be really hard to spot. And there are brilliant, brilliant brands who are, you know, literally changing the world right now and making the sustainability movement even more powerful than it is. And they slip up constantly. So it is pretty crazy. I think the Green Claims Code that got put in place in January this year, uh, you know, kind of similar to like the GDPR uh, thing that happened a few years ago, but really for businesses, you know, making sustainability claims. That is something that is going to change the game a lot. There are there are brands I know famously you can go and Google Innocent, which had their TV advert taken down. You know, they're a B Corp. They're trying to do the right thing, but the messaging that they went out with was just not right. It was just completely misleading. And I think that the marketing agency or the creative team behind that, you know, of course there would have been a lot of learnings there. But you know, fortunately, there's a lot of insight and intelligence that you can gain now from any form, whether it's blogs, videos, courses, you know, going to college. I think even, you know, there's sustainability, I think it's a natural planet history or something like that, which is, you know, the GCSE in, in sustainability. People are getting a lot more clued up on what's going on in the world, but how to communicate what's going on in the world and doing that in, you know, really concise way, which doesn't, you know, necessarily end you up in hot water is something that is still something that I think marketing agencies and, brands uh, are still learning on a, on a on a daily or hourly basis at the moment one of the things that we're um we're asking ambassadors and also people that i'm interviewing on the podcast is what their blue thread is that connects them to both the planet their mission and the blue earth summit so what is your blue thread you know it's so interesting that question because so one of our values in viral is um adventurous that's because like the first five employees of the company basically mirrored what I do, which is like to get outside, go trail trail hiking, climbing, skiing, mountain biking, you know, whatever it might be in the outdoors. I guess there is definitely a common thread between what I guess I see as the core sustainability community that I'm part of and the outdoors and adventure and stepping into the unknown just to kind of see what's there and stepping into these wild places to get inspiration. But also to actually connect the fact that when you're on a Zoom call in an office space, you know, the spreadsheet with resources and the fact that, you know, you're actually taking resources out of the ground in a completely different country in the middle of nowhere. They aren't connected, right? Out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, going out into the outdoors and adventure was just super, almost important for the initial stages of our growth. That said, and this is a blind spot that, you know, we only became aware of in the last uh, year or so, is that adventure can mean different things to different people. And ultimately, from an accessibility perspective, just because you're a climber or a mountain biker or head out into the middle of Snowdonia on the weekends, does that make you the right fit for Enviral? Well, no, because it's just that's just not an inclusive thing. Like, it's, 
it's not possible for a lot of people, especially, you know, as we're based in, in a city in Bristol. So I think that we've, we, you know, we still have adventurous as one of our core values, but it just means different things to us now. And I, I think that, look, spending time outdoors is no doubt the one thing that myself and, uh, you know, the team really use as a central tool to our business toolkit. And, you know, obviously it's got so many benefits. I can't, we spend the next three hours talking about the benefits, right? But from staff retention to creative thinking, uh, to mental health, to networking, it's there's infinite, you know, amount of benefits. And that's the one thing that I think that we as a marketing agency sometimes fall down on. You know, it's very easy to just get stuck in your emails and it's very easy to go into the office and even take a walk around the park at lunchtime or, um, you know, go on a run out into Leewoods for the Bristol team who know that we're really fortunate enough to be able to just be in nature really quickly. And yeah, I guess ultimately it is just like the ability to see the big picture and to understand that there are a lot of different common, you know, cultures and themes and threads within that big picture, which needs to be considered. And as a marketing agency, you know, we always, I'm sure every marketing agency says like, yeah, we always think about the audience. We put our feet in the shoes of, uh, you know, who we're talking to, but we don't often put, you know, the feet in the shoes of the planet that we're impacting from communications. And look, I went to this landfill on Friday and there were literally millions of pieces of plastic and waste in that in that landfill. And the majority of those products in there were probably bought because of a marketing communications campaign. And ultimately, marketing communications has got such a huge responsibility in consumption, you know, slowing down consumption. And there's obviously a massive correlation between consumption and things like climate change that, you know, we've got to be able to step into the big picture sometimes. And um, that adventure thread is the best way of doing that. So, yeah, I, I think ultimately getting outdoors is something that we're really, really passionate about. But adventure can mean different things to different people. And um, the last couple of years, especially. But yeah, once you do step into the unknown to see what's there, I think the results come, whether that's creatively and strategically for campaigns, you know, or unblocking a business solution. That's that's something that's really cool. And um, yeah, it's wicked. That, that last year there was so much movement and momentum around you know the event at, at motion and at the wave at the blue earth summit just talking about that you know you don't necessarily need to go to the antarctic or climb an eight thousand meter peak to get that adventure you, you can you can find it on your doorstep sometimes if you try i think the idea of narrative and turning up outdoors as your authentic self is something that some people find really difficult because Often marketing campaigns, they sometimes appeal to the masses rather than appeal to the to the individual. And that's what can make you feel like you don't really belong in those spaces. Yeah, 100%. And look, like the best brands in the world, they create communities. And um, yeah, to loop back to that kind of eight slash nine year old who was wearing really baggy jeans and wearing skate shoes. That's when I first saw the power of subcultures I can't tell you how influenced I was by brands like Vans. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how influenced I was by like the Tony Hawks of the world. The, the amazing thing there, right, is that the community that they stood for and the kind of misfit nature of why they 
existed as a human or as a brand or a, a collection of people is ultimately you know completely correlated to the sustainability movement and, and brands who really stand for stuff, stuff in the sustainability movement. The, the, the really amazing thing for that is that I see this common thread for all of these brands being that they don't spend too much time with what we think is the right process of going to work at nine in the morning and leaving at 5.30. They all have, whether it's surfing, cold water swimming, skateboarding, music, you know, got these like creative releases. And there's quite literally a correlation between people who go outside or switch off and creative and strategic thinking. So there's there's literally a part of our brains called the default mode network, which switches on when we switch off. And that's literally why we get our best ideas in on a trail or in the shower, not when you're stuck inside in a meeting room, like trying to force an idea to come out. I guess the cool thing that those brands have got is that they can think outside the box. And, you know, we need radical out the box thinking more than ever right now to connect hearts and minds and and to inspire people in the um, social environmental, uh, I guess, pillars that they, that they're trying to solve as brands. And um, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic that we can like make a lot of change now that COVID's happened. Flexibility in the workplace is happening there's there's less kind of like traditional hierarchy structures in in organizations and um there's a lot more communication happening which means that you know there's a lot more flexibility in the workplace and hopefully that'll lead to some really great out-of-the-box thinking now my final question is slightly trivial but i think it would be a good indicator or indication the headspace that you're in when you used to skateboard but what was the image logo or pattern on the bottom of your skateboard <laughs> because mine was buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> wow. i know so if you can top that then <laughs> so i had a few different skateboards yeah over my very small skateboarding career and the most standout one was again i think i mentioned tony hawk probably helped that Sony and PlayStation picked him up and and made skateboarding kind of the resurgence of resurgence of skateboarding. Oh, I think skateboarding's always been cool, but it it made it mainstream for sure. But yeah, he he owned a brand called Birdhouse um, as the Birdman, and I remember having a Birdhouse skateboard with a yeah with a bird on the bottom of it. Which you know, if we even think about that, maybe there's a link to nature that was pretty apparent in my eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen year old self. <laughs> I wish I still skateboarded. It'd be so good, but I think I'd probably injured myself pretty badly now. I'm more into, um, yeah, the outdoors. I'm, I'm a big mountain person. So that's where you'll find me if I've ever got some time off. Well, it's been lovely to have you on the pod, Joss. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you. Um, yeah, definitely could, could have chatted for hours and hours and hours. So I can um, tell, I can tell. And I'll see you at the <laughs> Blue Earth Summit in October. Oh, it's going to be great. And um, yeah, definitely. Anybody who is coming, hit me up on LinkedIn and um, I would love to meet up for a for a beer or a coffee. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.